Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, hey, welcome to another week, a new week here on Suncast Solar Warriors. We are back with another Tactical Tuesday. These are typically short-form conversations with subject matter experts geared towards giving you practical tools, tips, and advice to build your solar and clean energy business or career. I'm so glad that you are here to grow with us on Suncast, and today I promise you're going to get the opportunity to do just that. I have... Jennifer Newman of Resurity on the show today, and she is the Vice President of Atmospheric Science. And I can promise that she is thinking about things at an altitude that many of us are not privy to, but also at a level of granularity that I've rarely experienced. And it was really a pleasure to dive into a white paper that Resurity and Hannon Armstrong recently released all about how to get better visibility, granularity out of your data, uh, what modeling tools and assumptions are working and what are not, and how it can affect your overall ability to price forecast and generate revenue. If any of that is interesting to you, and I suspect that it is because you clicked on this play button already, well, you're going to want to stick around. So glad that you're here to level up your game. Remember, you'll find resources and links from this episode in the show notes page over at mysuncast.com. While you're there, I hope that you'll take a moment to subscribe to the newsletter so you'll get notified every time a new episode comes out. And hey, you're listening to this most likely in some podcast player, Spotify or otherwise. Why don't you just go ahead and hit that subscribe button and cue it up so that it tells you every time. Hit the notifications button. It'll tell you every time a new episode is out as well. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior. Here we go with another powerful Tactical Tuesday on Suncast. Well, as I mentioned, Jennifer Newman is an atmospheric scientist with experience in things that I don't know that I've ever thought about before, like boundary layer meteorology and certainly remote sensing, machine learning and resource assessment. Many of you, no doubt, have thought lots about resource assessment. We're going to dive down the rabbit hole way beyond 8760. If you don't know what 8760 is, that's fine too. You're going to learn a lot in today's Tactical Tuesday. Jennifer Newman, welcome to Suncast. Thanks so much for having me. Well, Jennifer, I mentioned right in the beginning, I have to admit my own ignorance a bit about the general field, which you have deep study in. I'd love for if you'd start with the field of atmospheric science and in particular, broadly, how understanding atmospheric science relates to solar or renewable power generation at all? Sure. So, I mean, I I started out studying atmospheric science in my undergraduate work at Cornell University. And atmospheric science is is very broad. It's everything from how tornadoes form to El Ninos and, you know, climate change and things like that. And as I got into graduate school, I started to understand kind of the more specific areas of atmospheric science. 
Uh, in particular, got into what's called boundary layer meteorology, which is basically the lowest one kilometer of the atmosphere. So it's where I think a lot of the cool stuff happens. It's where surface friction and surface heating impact your wind speeds. And it's where also you, know, you have your solar panel set up and your wind turbines set up. And that's really where you know you get the influence of atmospheric science on renewables is you know how is the weather in that lowest part of the atmosphere impacting the amount of wind or solar generation you can get that is fascinating and you know many of us are probably familiar with technology that allows for varying levels or heights above the surface of the earth like lidar to give a general sense of you know how many how many square meters or how many how much uh, general power is falling on a per square meter basis. Is that the kind of general, I'll say science or technology that you help bring to not just surety, but the overarching uh, science around uh, measuring and analyzing power generation data? Yeah. So I did a lot of instrumentation work, both in my graduate career and then also my postdoc at NREL. Um, so I set up LIDARs, which are remote sensing devices that use light waves to detect wind speeds. And they're really useful because they can get to much higher heights than you would get with a typical meteorological tower. And that's becoming increasingly important as wind turbines are getting higher and higher. So I actually set those up at a couple operational wind farms and was able to compare some of the measurements to what was measured on the meteorological tower and also how that related to the, the wind turbine input. So I got a really good understanding of, you know, what what's a good resource assessment? What are the measurements that are really important for trying to estimate your wind or solar generation? Well, for those who have been listening to Suncast, they'll know that we recently did an episode with another team that knows a fair amount about ass- assessing resource assessments. Those from the guys from Clean Power Research and KWH Analytics. And even uh, we had a friend join from ICF to talk about the value of this data And when I was presented with the opportunity to learn more about this fantastic white paper that you co-authored with Hannah Armstrong, and by you, I mean you, Dr. Jennifer Newman, along from Resurity, along with uh, Hannah Armstrong, one of your partners, I was intrigued, not the least of which is because in numerous conversations that I've had, I poke fun at 8760. For those who aren't familiar with 8760, it's the number of hours generally used in calculating energy uh, resource availability and energy model. Uh, It's based on the typical meteorological year. But you all did a fascinating paper. For those who are unfamiliar with it, I'll let you give the name of the white paper. Sure. The name is Friends Don't Let Friends Use 8760s at least not for revenue modeling. I love it. I love it. I want a t-shirt that says friends don't let friends use 8760s. Yeah, we got lots of <laughs> merchandise opportunities there. That is fantastic. Hopefully uh, we can trademark that, Jennifer. But yeah. you guys uh, put this white paper together with your partners over at Hannon Armstrong. What was the general underlying thesis that you were exploring or perhaps even your customers were asking questions around that led to you making this quite bold and definitive statement that friends, in fact, don't let friends use 8760s for revenue generation modeling. Right. So at Resurity, uh, we have never used 8760s. And we've also been, you know, we've always been very strict about time series analysis and using as much data as possible. But we also know that's not all that common in the industry, that a lot of people still do use 8760s. That's where talking with Rich from Hannon Armstrong was really helpful because he could kind of be our eyes on the ground and say, 
here's what we're seeing right now, you know, in the in the industry, here's how people are using 8760s. And what we wanted to do with the white paper is really show like what are the financial implications of using 8760s so that we could try to get people to drink the the Kool-Aid a bit and understand why it's so important to do the type of time series modeling that Rashirdi does and that a lot of other people in the industry are doing as well. Well, Jennifer, in the paper, you point to the reality that there can often be significant errors in revenue modeling as high as 30% in some high penetration markets in terms of the variable between what's expected and what's happening in real life. I love the way that the white paper is uh, is structured. It actually is kind of a primer on kind of what you need to know if you want to dive into this topic more deeply. And the executive summary is fantastic as well. Uh, but you start with a question that I have to admit that if I didn't read the white paper, I'm not sure I would fully understand. So what do you feel is the first overarching concept that folks need to understand if they're going to dive down the rabbit hole of how to estimate the value of renewable energy projects? So I think they really need to understand uh, what shape is. And, you know, shape is basically the value of your wind and solar or solar project relative to the average price of power. And then they need to understand what are the drivers of shape. And the, the main thing is, if you're using a technique that doesn't capture those drivers, then you really have no hope of getting it a realistic value of your wind or solar project. Yeah. And when you say drivers, can you give me an example of one or two? Sure. Yeah. So there's two key drivers I talk about in the white paper. One is the general correlations between kind of monthly or diurnal generation and the price of power. So that would be, you know, is it really sunny during times when power is really valuable, when prices are high? Is it really windy when prices are low? All of that is going to, to drive the, the value of your wind or solar project. And then the second is what I call hourly market drivers. This is the impact of the wind or solar generation itself on the price of power. Jennifer, I'm thinking about kind of what affects shape and in particular, you mentioned hourly pricing and hourly factors. Can, can you dive a little deeper into how or why hourly data matters in this construct? Sure. So when you're thinking about the price of power, there's a bunch of different things that can impact it. Obviously, the demand on the system is going to drive up the price of power. And the other thing that's really important is how expensive the generators are that you're using to meet mm. that demand. And wind and solar are very inexpensive generators. So when it's really windy or really sunny, you can meet a lot of your demand with wind or solar, and that's actually going to drive down the price of power. And then the inverse is also true. So if it's cloudy, if it's not very windy, you're going to have to use more expensive generators to meet demand. So that's going to increase the price of power. So you end up yeah. with this hourly covariance between wind and solar generation and the price of power. This is especially prominent in markets that have a lot of renewable penetration. So for example, California with solar or a lot of the Great Plains with wind power. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, it kind of makes me reflect back to the two primary charts uh, on annual projection or project generation and 8760 project generation in terms of the the trend line uh, not exactly matching what might be in a pro forma. Uh, is, is that what you're referring to the, at first glance? And especially if you're using 8760 data, it may look to have less of a correlation when in fact it has quite a, quite a large correlate or a large uh, inverse correlation. Right, exactly. So if you're looking at, you know, actual generation during every hour versus actual power prices, you are going to see a pretty strong negative correlation. 
Whereas if you just use an 8760, you're kind of masking that because you're not using the same generation and, and during the same hours where you have the price time series. So you're kind of ruining that covariance. Yeah. When you say negative correlation, can you be more specific? Like when X happens, Y happens, and that and that's more drastic than folks are thinking about? Sure. So what that means is that when wind or solar generation is high, prices mm -hmm. tend to be low. And then okay. when wind or solar generation is low, prices tend to be high. So there's this you know negative or inverse relationship between generation and price. Right. And if I'm looking at that graph on the x-axis is plant generation in megawatts is kind of overall plant, not necessarily a specific plant, I'm guessing, but even market level plant generation. And in the y-axis is price. So generally speaking on the y-axis, the higher it gets towards, let's say $50 a megawatt hour, the the lower amount of uh, renewable power we tend to see in in that scenario. Okay. Right. And the, the important thing is that when it, it's windy at one project, it's going to tend to be windy at a bunch of projects in that same area. So it's that combined of effect of like the regional windiness or regional sunniness that's going to drive down the price of power. Yeah. You know, apart from 8760, which a number of tools uh, all the way back to when I first got in the industry using PV watts as a very simple in-rail developed tool, they make some assumptions around the availability of sunlight or the availability of wind in the last call it 15 years that I've been in the industry, how has the market evolved from a tool set basis to allow us to, or allow you as a scientist to study this with deeper analytics? Right. I think, uh, you know, as computational power has become easier to come across, I think people have been a bit better about building their own models and not having to rely on just a single software system. And then in addition, as it gets easier to do these simulations, I think it's gotten easier for people to look at multiple scenarios and not just a TMY or an 8760, but to look at yeah. a full range of scenarios. Right. Yeah. Which is, uh, to, to your point, like a TMY is a typical year. And, you know, I think Texas, as we all talked about, it has had an atypical year. So if you're just using TMY data, you wouldn't be able to forecast something like a, a drastically lower temperature or less wind or a particularly more rainy season uh, of the year. Is that kind of what we're talking about here? Absolutely. In Texas, okay. so this past February is a great example because it, it tends to be pretty windy in Texas in February. And this past year was the absolute opposite. There was this weather pattern that brought both really cold weather and also really low windiness conditions. And if you're just kind of looking at a typical year, you have no chance of capturing that scenario happening. Yeah. So we talked about seasonal and diurnal cor correlations and hourly market drivers. I would really encourage folks, by the way, we'll link to the white paper. There's a whole lot for you guys that like to geek out and just dive into data. There's 12 pages of data and graphs and things like that that are, are fascinating. But I think I want to bring it back to uh, a question that you seek to address in the white paper as well, because we have this T-shirt now that we're going to wear. This is Friends Don't Let Friends yeah, Use 8760s. <laughs> but why can't 8760s be used to estimate the value of renewable energy projects? And, and if not that, then what? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think there's two key reasons why you shouldn't use them for revenue modeling. One of them is kind of what we just talked about is that any renewable project is going to experience a really wide variety of weather conditions, you know, during its lifetime. And 8760 will just capture the average of that. And then the second is those hourly market drivers. So 
So an 8760 is going to mask the hourly impact of generation on the price of power. And that's another really important driver of the value of your renewable project. So again, if you're missing those two things, then you're just not going to get an accurate estimate of how valuable your project is actually going to be. And if you don't know how valuable the project is going to be, then you miss some opportunity for valuation at the front, but you potentially also misrepresent or overrepresent the value to an acquisition partner uh, as an IPP, as an owner, as uh, Hannon Armstrong and many others are. Uh, it's important to be able to really understand where the discrepancies might be in these models. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the things that I found fascinating is that we now have enough data and insight to be able to not just determine an atypical meteorological year and its relevant impact on pricing in the model, but the difference between relatively similar sites and relatively similar geographic regions. Can you explore with me a little bit more about how the kinds of granular data that you're looking at now can help grid operators as well as renewable power plant operators better forecast where revenue is going to be derived and the difference between maybe selecting one site versus another? Sure. Yeah. So it's it's really important to look at what we call concurrent generation and price time series. So if you're looking in the past, if you have a power price that was 12 a.m. on January 1st, 2017, you want to look at the generation that was associated with that power price at 12 a.m. January 1st, 2017. And that's not just at a particular site, but also across your your power market, because that really impacts how many imports you can get if you're in certain markets, you know, what the demand looks like in the system, how much of that demand you can fulfill with other generators. So you want to look at, you know, all of that, that data at a, a very granular level and also that concurrent level to really determine what, what the value is of, of any particular project in that area. I want to let you know about an opportunity that just might be perfect timing for you. You might already know that I do coaching for entrepreneurs, founders, executives, and increasingly folks who are in a major transition in their life or career. And I find that fourth quarter is often couched as a do or die time of year. My clients usually really benefit from having a strategic advisor as an ally for not just wrapping the year well, but knowing that you've got a solid plan for the incoming year. Now, I only open up spots for coaching a few times a year, as many of you know, and I keep the roster pretty small, but I've decided that I'd like to open up a few more spots through the end of this year. So for the next couple of weeks, I'll be accepting applications to fill two spots that I have available. If that sounds interesting to you, I'd encourage you to go to mysuncast.com, click on work with Nico up in the menu, fill out the brief application and book a 15 minute clarity call with me. I'll only be accepting a couple of people this quarter and I'm closing this offer in a few weeks so we can focus on your Q4 and Q1 plan. So if you've ever considered hiring a coach, maybe now is the right time to take the next step. I look forward to hearing from you soon, Solar Warriors. Now back to today's episode. Jennifer, I know that you all are developing some proprietary software at Resurity to give clients more granular data around it, uh, around the potential revenue and also even historical revenue. I'm unfamiliar with a term that I've heard you use uh, called backcast. What is a backcast and how can that be utilized? What tools are available to actually be able to 
have visibility into that? Sure. Uh, a backcast is a look at how a project would have performed given a historical time series. So it's going back in time and seeing, you know, if I had a project in this area and I make some assumptions, how valuable would that project be or how much revenue could that project make? And backcast analysis is one of the things we offer in our remap tool, which is a software analytics tool. And what we do is we pair an hourly generation time series with an hourly price time series for every operational wind and solar project across the United States. So if, if you want to get that backcast analysis for any operational project, all that information is just at your fingertips. And then the other thing we do is, is we look at what we call synthetic projects, which is a hypothetical project in every kind of general region across the United States. So if there's an area of California where there isn't solar set up right now, but you might be interested in developing a solar project there, we have the modeling capabilities to show how valuable that hypothetical project would be. I've never heard, uh, I mean, I've heard of synthetic project analysis in the terms of uh, like shadow modeling for credit and things like that. Can you help me unpack a bit the the use case for a synthetic project? Uh, once again, maybe maybe I'm just not picking it up, but how does a synthetic project help a project developer, for example, or a or a power producer to make better decisions? Sure. So in our remap tool, we basically have two layers. So we have one that shows operational project data. So this is you know, where you can see the value of a project at every operational site across the United States. But then, of course, developers want to develop more projects in areas that might not have a lot of wind and solar right now. And those areas could have different resource characteristics or pricing time series and pricing tendencies. So what we're doing with the synthetic projects is we're saying, you know, in a hypothetical, if I were to develop a project in this location, in this power market with this resource profile, how valuable would this project be? Wow. Okay. Are we able to take into consideration the ability to time shift with storage as well for that. And, and the, I'm, I'm assuming that this wealth of data would allow storage developers as well to be able to better, more accurately decide how and where power is allocated or placed. Absolutely. Yeah. Storage isn't something we specifically model in a remap right now, but it is on our, our future list. Um, but where it is helpful is, is figuring out, you know, where would it be most valuable to place a storage asset? Where could I take advantage of the, that price volatility where solar or wind isn't really able to capture those prices? Okay. Uh, in the section where you say, what should I use instead? It's, that's basically where you refer to backcast analysis and then forward-looking an analysis. Is that what we're talking about with the synthetic modeling? Yeah, that, that's kind of getting a little bit into the synthetic modeling, but I think um, it also gets into not just what your resource looks like, but what the impact of just general weather patterns are on power prices. So a lot of financial models now assume that every single year in the future follows an 8760 profile. So every year is just a typical meteorological year. And that means you're never going to capture, you know, the, the California and Southwest heat wave. You're never going to capture the cold snap in Texas. So that's why we recommend not just using the same typical profile for every year when you're doing your future analysis, but also looking at the impact of, you know, lots of different, dozens of different weather scenarios and how that will impact the price of power. Well, Jennifer, I know that a lot of folks probably come at you with, uh, hey, you know, this is probably really good for wind. 
because it's a lot more variable or or un, maybe even unreliable, even though that could be argued. Uh, and solar is more stable and follows a more typical meteorological year. So what would you have to say to that? And also, generally speaking, who is this kind of data mostly useful for? Sure. So on, on the solar versus wind question, you know, it is true that wind is much more variable than solar. You know, with solar, you're just looking at the angle of the sun in the sky, and that's going to impact a lot of your generation profile. But with solar, you can also get clouds and thunderstorms that come by. And if those are passing by at a time when prices are really high, that's really going to drive down the amount of revenue you can get from that project. We've actually seen that in Texas in a lot of occasions on you know, late summer afternoons. That's when it tends to be really hot. That's when prices are high. And that's when solar usually tends to shine, unintended. Um, but that's also a time when you, you get a lot of thunderstorms that come through. So if you have a cloud passing over your solar farm, then you're going to deviate from that typical generation profile and you could be getting almost zero generation in the middle of the day. So that's one reason why, you know, even though at a general level, solar is less variable than wind, there are still these weather things that can impact solar um, that could make it deviate from a typical year and really impact the value of that project. Well, as an atmospheric scientist, I have to imagine you're far, far more knowledgeable about these kinds of tools that are coming to market than, than most of us are. Are we yet at a level where we could make uh, assumptions at a micro-regional basis, you know, a solar park on the other side of a county that might be producing better than one in a, in a more, I don't know, storm-prone or cloud-cover-prone area? Are we talking that, that, that granular of a level? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, in our remap tool, we use a modeled solar radiance data set that has one kilometer resolution. And one of the reasons why we chose that resolution was so that we can capture those impacts from you know, one side of the county to another. Where Is that one getting... kilometer diameter or radius or not, not off the ground? That's not LIDAR. That's Right. So that's like a one kilometer grid. So each, each okay. one kilometer, um, you're getting a different view of the irradiance based on our model data oh, wow. set. Wow. I, I did not know that we were at that level of granularity yet. Uh, well, who, who else is this uh, particularly useful for? I can imagine that you've thought more about that than most of us. Right. I think this is useful for anyone who is doing any kind of financial analysis. Um, we want people to, you know, if they get an 8760 on their desk to say, no, this isn't good enough. I want concurrent pricing and generation time series. I want lots of weather years. We want them to understand what the implications are of using that 8760 for any kind of financial modeling. Yeah, I get it. I know that you guys are also working with some sort of brand name customers on other products. Does this tie into our ability to, at some point, start to put valuations on carbon and other, other uh, elements of renewables? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on the atmospheric science team, but we have uh, other teams at Resurity we're working on our LME, our Locational Marginal Emissions product. And this mm. product uh, gives you at the project-specific level how much carbon you would be abating by generating at that specific project. And that's where our really granular data-driven approach comes in. Uh, what wow. we've seen on the market is that when they look at carbon abatement, it's usually on kind of a regional or a statewide level. Um, but what we've seen in our analysis is that you can have two projects in the same county, but depending on what side of a transmission line they're on, one of them might be abating a lot more carbon than another one. And that's why we think it's so important to use all of the granular data that we have to get a more realistic view of the actual carbon abatement of a particular project. 
I should have mentioned this, but I'm on the I'm a, a scientist. I'm not a business development person, so I'm not very good at, at marketing. You mentioned big corporations, <laughs> and we're actually launching our Elmi product with Microsoft. Um, they've been a great partner with us, and it really shows how big corporations are starting to care about how much carbon they're actually taking off the grid with the renewable projects that they're buying energy from. Well, Jennifer, before we go, I always like to ask, where can folks connect with you? Where can they find you? Uh, where else will you be uh, talking about all of uh, this information? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn, Jennifer Newman. And I'm also going to be talking about this topic next week at the American Clean Power Resource and Project Energy Assessment Virtual Summit. I'll be giving a talk during a panel on time series modeling on Tuesday, September 28th. I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, we'll link to that as well in the show notes, a link to how to sign up and watch Jennifer on that panel. I'll be doing that as well. And grateful for the opportunity to learn more about it. I'll jump in the audience and pepper you with questions. Sounds like a plan. Well, as I have said earlier, and uh, you aptly titled the white paper, our public service announcement today is friends don't let friends use 8760s, at least not for revenue modeling. Jennifer Newman heads the atmospheric science team for Resurity, and we are surely grateful for your expertise and intelligence helping level up our knowledge and drive the industry forward. Jennifer, thanks for joining us on this Tactical Tuesday at Suncast. Thanks so much for having me. All right, Solar Warriors, that was a fun deep dive into a world that I rarely get a chance to really explore, the analytical side of the data coming into financial models and out of our solar and broader renewable projects. What'd you think of that? Did we challenge some of your foregone conclusions or assumptions? Are you aligned with the data that Resurity presents in this white paper? Do you wanna give Jennifer a hand clap or a pat on the back and tell her she did a great job for her first podcast interview? Well then head over to mysuncast.com, click on the show notes page. That's where you will have access to her social media link, the white paper and many of the other things that we referenced here in today's episode. That's also where, as I mentioned before, you can subscribe to our newsletter and you can reach out on LinkedIn to me as well. That is where I am most active, but also active on Twitter. However you decide to engage, I am so grateful that you click play today and that you've listened all the way through clear to the end here as we are about to wrap up. Hey, by the way, if you're on Spotify or iTunes, it genuinely helps us if you would be so willing and you liked this episode, just drop a five-star review and a quick note about how this podcast is helping you in your life and career. It really does take just a couple of minutes and it makes all the difference for the algorithms of those platforms to help others discover the show the same way that you did at some point. A special thank you to our sponsors who help make sure that this show comes to you every week for free. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor, as well as follow the links to know how you could potentially reach out to the thousands of listeners just like you here on Suncast. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>